Are you ready for a firearm-friendly social media? Big tech hates you, your firearms, and your lifestyle. They continually throttle and delete your firearm-related content and the ability to see content you want. Every day, your friends, favorite influencers, gun shops, or manufacturers get canceled and banned. They will not stop till you no longer have a voice. There is an alternative, Gunspace. Gunspace has taken the best components of top social media and fused them together for a unique social experience. A scrollable feed, clubs, podcast network, forum, and NFT creator are features of the app. We want to help you socialize and engage with other firearms enthusiasts, dealers, and manufacturers without random unwanted posts or unrelated advertising. Gunspace, the firearms-friendly social media. Download Gunspace, one word, in the App Store now. You can find us on Gunspace at C-I-P-O-D. Welcome to Clone Incorrect Podcast, episode 27, with Mr. Ben Steger. Ben holds eight national titles from USPSA and a lifetime ban from USPSA. Ben is verifiably one of the best shooters of all time, and I'm excited for this conversation. I'm going to let everyone introduce themselves, then we'll get started. Rambe, uh, I don't do anything here. Uh, I don't shoot competition. Uh, but I do have a pretty solid Dickens drill, so maybe that's why I'm here. I'm 7'7", seven, seven. I'm just another T-Class nobody. I am, uh, I'm M1 Ping, uh, new to the competition world, just started Cheat Steel Challenge a couple months ago, uh, getting ready to step into my first USPSA match here in the next couple of weeks, so I'm, I'm here to learn and pick the brain. Uh, I am what you transfer, um. Most of my competition experience is in uh, th- occasional three-gun matches and club-level pistol matches, and I'm trying to find the right kind of sanctioned match to kind of sink my teeth into. So I'm interested in this conversation and where it goes. My name is Ben Steger. I'm, uh, well, I guess formally a competition shooter now, but uh, I've done uh, competitive shooting uh, for quite a while. I do uh, instruction, books, teaching, uh, uh that sort of thing is kind of my wheelhouse is just a lot of shooting stuff. I do well, my own podcast. I do digital coaching. I've got kind of uh, my, my toe in a lot of stuff as far as, uh, as, far as shooting is concerned. Uh, but I'm definitely happy to be here with you guys. So do we want to just uh, start out with uh, like going over a little bit of where the board of director stuff is? We know you just put out a video about this uh, pretty I did. like today. I did going over I, some like of an hour ago well sure we can uh, well I, I could give people kind of a general sense I, I mean i don't know what your audience knows but uh there's been a a long coming sort of feud inside of uspsa i think there's a good way to put it um part of this is generational part of its personalities but um what's happening now in uspsa is a long time coming uh so what's been going on is uh over the last i suppose year me and many other people have started getting more and more vocally critical of the way USPSA is run as an organization. And uh, the situation's escalated to the point where a, f- a few people have been you know, technically suspended, but essentially punted from the organization. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's where that stands. Out. I mean, of course, there's a lot of things happening as far as that's concerned. But uh, like I said, this, this has been a long time coming feud. So I guess one of the things that I kind of want to hear your insights on this is you say part of this is personal and part of this is generational and yes the personal side of it frankly is one of those things that i don't need you to comment on a whole lot for my sake because that's like 
you talking about somebody as, in a personal sense, and that can kind of get to a slanderous territory in the wrong context. I don't need you to say stuff oh. like that. But I do oh, want well, to. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say slanderous stuff. Um, but I'm happy to say you know things that I believe to be true, which <laughs> you know. Sure. Well, I'm wondering yeah. how. Uh, what's the balance between generational and personal? Is I guess more of my question. Like, how much is it is like just the, the old uh, guy, the old man's club, or how much of it is like it's this one guy that's just making it miserable? Um. Well, I would say a lot of the personal, like, there's a lot of personal animus towards me um, because I'm a very vocal critic of a lot of people um, that you know run USPSA. Um, I'm not going to pretend that I like these people personally. And I don't think they would pretend to like me. Um, so there, there's a personal element there that, you know, you, you can't really deny. Um, but it's, it's, it's more than that. When I say generational, it's like you've got a lot of people. And it's not just like they're all, they're all like old dudes. There's guys that are, you know, middle-aged. It's not like a bunch of senior citizens that don't understand the Internet or something like that. Like that's, that's not the entirety of the USPSA board. But as a board, they don't like to take input. They don't, they don't want to, they, they're not interested in outside opinions. And they definitely don't like um, sort of public criticism. They definitely don't like that. Um, and th- that's the sort of stuff that I do. So um, you, you'd say, I mean, it's not just like these old guys hate us. It's like there's people that have a very different concept of, of how things should work, of how, how you should engage in these sort of interactions with people. Whereas I'm, I'm comfortable on the internet, you know, kind of letting it fly, whereas other people don't like that. So is it partially, you think, kind of like, not just like generational, but like maybe like a culture, like a gun culture kind of difference that there's guys that got used to being the way they've always been with USPSA and they don't want to change it. And then a bunch of new guys get interested in it and they want to see some changes but the guys that sure. have been running the show for a while, like I have no interest in actually changing anything. Well, yes, that's true. And then, and then the kind of the, the real culture clash is when is, is like, if you make a meme that's, you know, sort of funny and punchy, like those guys hate that stuff. The, 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 the BOD, they hate that like meme culture or internet culture. They really just don't like it. Oh, they're going to fucking hate us. Oh yeah, t- for sure. I'll hate you. Time to make some memes. So, have we decided who runs the XUSPSA account? Is that Jake from State Farm? I have no idea. To be honest, I I don't really follow or interact or care too much about. Um, there's plenty of meme pages. Like the XUSPSA account is useful for me. Like I like that. Why? Well, because I I need a dyad. We need um, conflict. If I don't if if I don't have people memeing back then what like what is there to do like if the if the board of directors and their supporters just shut up i wouldn't have anything to work with so do you think it's malice or stupidity both like what's the the difference (laughs) it's both like it's good i mean like at this point like the the ex-uspsa account serves me like yeah go look at that account these people like these people are obsessed with me and a few other people Constant memes. They're not really very effective memes. Not much engagement. And you disabled the you disabling the comments on an anonymous meme page is pretty much putting up the white flag. Like it's game over. <laughs> but again, that stuff is useful for me. Like I find that useful because I can put out sort of uh, really brash or 
really antagonistic sounding statements. And then other people talk about it and they fight about it. And what I need to do is push the conversation, the public conversation in the direction I need it to go. And you don't do that by being, you know, really pedantic or, or like just, just the facts, ma'am, like that kind of stuff. Like people don't give a fuck about that. So you, like the meme war, I've, meme wars are useful from where I stand. But again, this is a very different point of view than the board of director type people. Right. Now you've been teaching. I, I know you, I listened to your podcast. You said 15 years and I'm sure uh, shooting. So uh, when did you start? When did you first pick up a gun? And when did you start USPSA? Uh, I picked up a gun as soon as I, I could, which was when I was 18, because my parents are. Well, there's no other way to say it. They're partisan Democrats and they hate guns. So I couldn't have any guns until they kicked me out of the house. That kind of sucked. But then they kicked me out, which was good because then I could have guns. So I did that. Uh, I started USPSA at age 21 and I'm 38 now. I'm kind of getting, getting on in years. That's honestly really funny that somebody like so big and influential in the shooting community today grew up in an anti-gun household that I feel like that doesn't happen often. Or maybe I just don't hear about it. Yeah. I don't think people talk about it. I think it happens more than we expect because that's actually kind of similar to my like upbringing is like my parents, they weren't partisan Democrats, but they certainly were not comfortable with us having guns in the house until uh, I was in my teens. And that was just kind of like a thing that like we suddenly started inheriting guns from my grandfather. But like, otherwise, like I didn't grow up shooting. Like I got into it like about the time I could drive. Have they changed their opinions at all now, would you say, now that you've, uh, I mean, been in the shooting professional world at all for a long time? I mean, absolutely, they've changed their opinion. I mean, so like shooting now has kind of taken me all over the world, and I have a career and all that stuff, so it's pretty difficult for them to say anything in a real negative now. I don't. I mean, I just think they, they, in theory, don't like guns, but in practice don't really have a problem with them anymore. And uh, back to the BOD thing, it's almost ironic that Ben has probably uh, sold more USPSA memberships than the entire board of directors at any given time, uh, plus their massive advertising budget. Yeah, these people are stupid. I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah, I know there's a whole, uh, I guess, movement going on about if you and the other guys aren't uh, unbanned, then uh, we're not going to renew our memberships when they expire, uh, which hopefully gets the word across. Yeah, I don't know if I'd call it a movement, but there's a few people saying that. There's a lot of people like, I mean, not apart from me or the other guys being banned, they're looking at USPSA as an organization now quite a lot differently. And they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to pay these people. There's been a few clubs have disaffiliated, you know, that, that sort of stuff. A, a lot of people are very upset, um, you know, and that's happening. There's a people that want a new organization. They want new things to start up. Um, there's just lots of conversations in that direction are happening now. So that should be interesting to see where that goes. So what's next? I know you made a post about trying um, some PCSL target targets, which is uh, Max Leagrandis's thing. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you think of that? Uh, the targets are the targets are fine. Uh, I like them better than USPSA targets in some respects. I like how they're just physically smaller. Um, that is a good thing. The USPSA targets are bigger than they really need to be, if you ask me. Um, yeah, PCSL targets are interesting. I don't know how I feel about the bonus. There's a like the head box K zone is like a bonus zone, or it even kind of fundamentally changes scoring when you shoot that zone, which is kind of weird, but you know, it's an interesting idea. 
What what score is the K zone? I mean, I assume it's very similar to USPSA scoring. I don't know exactly. I think if you shoot the K zone, it's like you only have to shoot once instead of twice. I don't know exactly. What I saw online, I did like I'm probably going to be wrong about this, and then just kind of embarrass myself. I'm pretty sure that either you only have to shoot the K zone once, or the K zone is like double. Do they do hit factor scoring at all? I, I, I don't know PCL scoring. I just tried the targets, but I, what I've heard is similar to what you're saying. Where the K, the K zone is a game changer, fundamentally. It is much more beneficial to shoot the K zone, but it is much smaller than obviously like the rest of like the chest area of the target. Yeah, but it's kind of weird because it's pretty easy to hit accidentally because it's just above that the, the center zone. And it's physically not a big target, and the K zone takes up pretty much the whole head. It's kind of strange. I mean, to really score it that way, is, it's a little weird. But it's interesting. How old is PCSL? Because I've only actually heard of PCSL in like the past couple of months. Like since I've like I I've been shooting USPSA for a couple of years now, but I've only like actually started caring about it a lot. Maybe in the past six months, and I've just heard of PCSL. Has that been around for a while, or is it like a new up upstart? I believe it's in the last two years. I believe so. Okay, it's relatively new. I got a buddy that kind of jumped on the bandwagon uh, when it started. Um, and it really hit my radar like a year ago. So I, I know it's still new enough that they're still trying to work out like the general rule books and stuff and what the, what the plan of attack is. Can someone post like a target or tell me a little bit more about this? Because this is the first time hearing about PCSL. I'll find a target online and put it in general. Yeah. And then if you guys are listening, obviously just Google PCSL target and then you can. I'll post it on the Instagram. That's my job. Okay. Thank you, Ethan. Yeah. So my problem looking at PCSL is I have to shoot rifles and I don't want to shoot rifles. That's the best part of PCSL. So, Ben, in your video you posted a couple hours ago, uh, you were talking about uh, the main challenge is getting the tactical guys like the Lucas Botkins to talk to, you know, us nerds uh, like Joel Park and yourself. Oh, no. Oh, no. That believe me, that part would not be a challenge. I, I don't I didn't mean to. I must have misspoke if I said that's a challenge. That would be my challenge. Okay. So let's say that these suspensions go through. Like it is like the situation then is out of my hand, out of my hands. Like there's enough energy out there. People want something new. They want something different. Like I, like I've trained with Lucas. I have, I, I, I can, I can message him. I have a relationship with him. I can put him together with, right? Like those types of people, like the Lucas Botkins, and I'm not saying him specifically, but those types of, of industry people like yeah i mean i had mike panone on my podcast he's shitting all over uspsa like the like any any like special operations background people that i know or um people that do competitive shooting in other venues not uspsa people that are firearms industry people that don't do competitive shooting to a man to a man they think uspsa is a gong show they think it's run by dipshits like this is what they all think like it's not really an un uncommon opinion. It's just not. It's just controversial to say that inside of USPSA circles, but outside of USPSA, everyone fucking thinks that. So that's what's kind of funny about it. Is like all these people are on the same page that USPSA sucks. What I would, what I would do, like my my, I think the best role I could have is to put these people together and say, hey guys, whatever you do next, do it together. Get on the same sheet of music. Get a common rule set that makes sense. You know that kind of thing. Personally, I think the common rule set thing is the biggest issue because around me, there's like a lot of you. Like I'm from like West Virginia, a lot of USPSA, not a lot of two gun. I have to drive like two hours for it. I've been to four separate clubs 
All of them have had different rule sets. Every single club has. And if they all just got on the same fucking page. Different rule sets for two gun? Yeah, all of them. Right. So the big thing, like two two guns, two guns where it's at. So let's say some new thing pops up. I would say things like, hey, um, we're just going to take USPSA rules and mirror it. We're going to take the classifications and literally mirror that, just port the classification to this new thing. Um, maybe maybe cut some dumb divisions or whatever, or what, I mean, that kind of stuff. But then there's big divisions. Like, I think you would be crazy if you started a new organization. You'd be fucking crazy if you didn't just take carry optics as is and put it in, right? It doesn't matter what you think of carry optics. You'd be crazy not to put it in. I mean, that kind of stuff. And then say, hey, we're not doing three gun because people don't give a shit about that. We're going to do two gun and we're going to have a classification system for two gun. That classification system, along with the common rule set, I think would be a game changer for two gun. Kind of like if three gun nation had gone on and survived. I mean, the classification system is what made three gun nation, I think, really kind of interesting and made it kind of work. So from a little bit of the three gun shooting that I did, it was all in two gun division. So my local match would run a two gun division. And the only thing you weren't going to shoot was an aerial clay. Everything else, if it was a shotgun target, you'd shoot it with a handgun, right? Right. So you can have, you can have that solution if you want, but like what, what people, most people don't want to even set up a fucking clay. I don't want to shoot three guns. Right. Nobody wants to shoot three guns. Well, why would you? I am sick and tired of a shotgun reloading game, right? And like it's, right. it's the, that kind of thing that it's like it, the, a match is getting to, matches are getting to the point where we're doing a thing that doesn't replicate th- the way I think about guns. <clears throat> and that's the problem. It's not even that the matches aren't good or they're not fun or they couldn't be interesting. It's that they're doing they're trying to replicate something that I don't think about when I'm thinking about gun usage. So like I am. So, like, IDPA, in theory, should be the perfect pistol match for the Zoomer concealed carry generation, but they don't allow appendix carry, and it's a bunch of old farts with 1911s, and nobody wants to fucking talk to these guys. And fishing vests. Right? And fishing vests. Correct. Fishing vests, yeah. like, and fucking, like, and will, like th- you know it's an old person's match when they have a division for custom 1911s. Right, I mean, that's another thing, like, that kind of stuff, like, should there be a new thing? You gotta take a look at that. Should there be a 1911 division? I say no. Should there be, like, how, here's another one, 40 caliber limited guns. What do you do with those? There's a lot of people who are invested who have that equipment, but 40 caliber is kind of going away. Throw them in the trash. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, do yeah. you say, hey, we're just, we're just not doing limited? Fuck limited? I mean, that'd be an interesting discussion because 40 caliber is going to kind of go away either way. Well, and the other thing is, it's like, it's interesting because like USPSA will do something that like seems interesting for them as a concept to introduce, but then they completely fuck it. Like, um, if you look <laughs> they at, they, do, they allow uh, appendix carry, right? They allow, begin to allow appendix carry for like all divisions, right? Mm-hmm. Super fucking cool. Awesome. Thanks guys. Hey, can I get a fucking concealment division? Like, can I get a division that I show up to my match and all I'm doing is I'm shooting from concealment and in my tagline, it's just, I'm shooting from concealment. No fucking jerseys. <laughs> none of that. All shit. Right, here, here's, here was my pitch. Like these guys never listen. But as soon as they started talking about modifying the centerline rule for equipment where, you know, all the equipment has to be behind the centerline of your hips, or uh, I think they also were like at the same time loosened up, say, hey, you can have magnets, you can do whatever the fuck you want, basically, as far as your belt setup in production, carry optics, these sort of things. What I said was like, well, instead of doing that, why don't you just say that, hey, put your shit behind your hip bone or it's concealed, either or I'm good with either. If you change the rule in that way, 
I mean, that would make, I mean, that sounds like that'd be interesting for everybody, you know, like, I, I don't know what you think of that, but like allowing that in was sounds seemed good to me, but it, it would be a hell of a lot more interesting that way. But like, so the local club match that I shot, because I don't want to have to go like pay for any sort of club memberships or anything. So I just went to a local club match that was on practice score. I show up with a Glock and an appendix carry holster and then a battle belt with a T-Rex arms, like Ragnarok on it. Right. So I'm like, okay, if I have to run an open belt, I can run an open belt. If I have to run concealed, I can run concealed. Well, I carry appendix and I was told that not to use appendix because I'll, they are worried about me shooting my dick off. And I'm like, I have been carrying appendix for five years. If I had shot my dick off, I was going to shoot my dick off. I would have done it when I started carrying. Not now. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, shit like that, that they're just, they're worried. Like you're going to fucking shoot yourself in the thigh. Like, no, I know how to draw my gun. <laughs> I've been doing this on a timer before you guys I even showed up to the match, dude. <laughs> like, That's the issue I see here. So USBSA is big here in North Dakota. Like, I have one club in a state that does two guns. That's all the way in Fargo, four hours away. Um, everything else close to me is USPSA North Cowboy Action. Like, that's the, the two big things here. So when USPSA was like, hey, we'll do appendix and we'll start allowing weapon lights, I was like, okay, that's cool. You know, now now I'm maybe in the game. But my local club doesn't allow appendix at all. Like, it just, it's in the rule book. You can do it. But the local club is like, nope, too dangerous. You're, you're not allowed to do it. What? So I'm going to argue with both of you. Uh, carrying appendix for a competition is kind of gay. Uh I mean, just just get a fucking holster. Like you're just. Uh, I, I, I mean, mean, I've got. You can you I've can got, draw at home. It, you can dry fire draw out of your appendix holster. Doing it at a match is like it's kind of stupid. I'm not. I'm not in the. I'm not in the match to win though. I'm more in the match to get reps in and get the live fire and do the, you know, do the thing where I'm. So are I'm, you live firing in your appendix holster? Real quick, can I just say something, Ethan? What does USPSA stand for? Uh. Uh, old guy club band Ben Stoker. You, well, you, uh, <laughs> you're close. Close. I, I think it, that USPSA, what a lot of people use it for, what I started using it for, and then I saw the classification system, and I was like, oh, I can make the cool number go up. Uh, they want to get better with their concealed carry rig. They want to get right better with their home defense stuff. That's why a lot of people shoot two gun. Well, like around me, where I go to shoot two gun. It's like maybe one third the gamer guys with the big muzzle brakes and the red anodized parts and everything. The other two thirds are just guys using their regular rifle that they keep in the back of their pickup truck, and they just yep. want to get better with their normal stuff. And I think, but I think there's room for both. But all you're doing carrying a pen or a drawing from appendix in a in a USPSA match is just drawing and getting your mag. Like it doesn't, your holster doesn't matter when you're shooting the stage. So just get a fucking holster. <laughs> yeah, but getting What's your thoughts on this, Ben? Uh, well, look, what you're saying is true, but you're not. It's like you're not meeting the you're not meeting the other half of the podcast where they're at. Like, I think like with with you know, if you have money for guns and ammo, obviously you can afford uh, an on the waistband rig. You could definitely afford that. It's not an issue, but. What these guys are saying is they want to shoot from fucking appendix. It doesn't really matter what I think of that. That's what they want to do. Right. Like, okay, whatever, guys. I don't give a fuck. I mean, I hear the safety stuff, but it's like the same conversations um, 
it, you know, if you go to a club where they don't have action shooting at all, then they see you running with a gun and they're like, oh, you know, that's unsafe. You know, that's bad. You can't do that. Be dry out, kid. Yeah, it's it's the same. It's the same sort of discussion. It's like, listen, we do this all the time. This is safe. It's okay. And it's like, am I going to tell some dude that carries appendix like you can't shoot appendix? Like, no, like I I don't really give a fuck if he shoots appendix or not. Fr- frankly, what whatever it's his thing. That's fair. That's why you're here and you're smarter than me. Well, I'm not smarter than you. I'm just saying I don't care. Like what you're saying is true though. You're like what you do like what you're doing is dumb. You're going to shoot six stages, you get six reps on your draw. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, yep. What you you're not wrong. <laughs> but you, you got to list the other side of the conversation saying I want to shoot appendix. It's like, okay. It's like you're you're so you're going to talk people out of like chocolate being their favorite flavored ice cream or something. Like that doesn't happen. They want to shoot appendix you know, like whatever, let them shoot appendix. Who cares? And I guess it's it's more of a cultural thing for me as well with this. So, so like <clears throat> the the match that I shot was specifically where I was told no appendix was a club level match where all of the draws had to be conceived, and I would not have been able to complete the match unless somebody had a holster of just like a pancake kind of bullshit wait. to put on. Well, wait, this was a USPSA match. No, no, this is a club level small like local match. This was not USPSA. Long. An outlaw match. It was an outlaw type match. They they required they required concealment, but said no appendix. Correct as an outlaw match. Yeah, it was just dude. It was weird as shit. That's fucking weird. Honestly, that doesn't make sense. There was a whole crew of dudes that rolled up, right? And they were they were told no appendix. And they all got in their cars and drove home. And I was like, well, I already paid the dude my fucking money. I'm not going to go ask for his my money back. And somebody's like, I'll loan you a holster if you want to finish the match. I'm like, okay, cool. So like. I borrowed a holster and finished the match, and I placed mid-pack, despite shitty footwork. Um, but it was still, like, kind of, like, one of these things of, like, hey, I've been carrying, like, this for fucking years, man. Like, why am I getting told if this is a concealment-based match, and this is my most comfortable method of concealment, why am I getting told to not do that? And I would like to work with my carry gun, with my carry rig, you know? So if I'm choosing to carry like my P365, and I usually carry that in a Filster Enigma, I want to be able to show up to a match and do that. I feel like that's the thing for a lot of common guys in the gun spaces. Let me use what I actually fucking use. So given that, do you think that's something that like I'm alone in thinking? Is that something that like you would want to participate in? If like, hey, this is a weekend match, like, do you, would you do that? Right? Would you take your personal carry gun? and go and do that kind of a match once a month. That's what got me into shooting. Is that what you're talking about? It's like, Hey, I want to shoot like a real, like a real gun, like a gun. I can go buy at a store that people actually carry that, like not some like unsafe trigger or something that, you know, for legal reasons you wouldn't want to carry. Like I want to learn to shoot a real gun. It's like one of my, another hobby I have is sports cars. I think it's to me, it's more interesting to drive a street car on all season tires really aggressively than to drive a race car. Like that's more interesting to me to learn to drive like a, like a more practical car. Like with shooting is the same. Like I, I got into shooting in IDPA with a Beretta cause I'm like, I had a Beretta. That was a, like a reasonable practical gun to me. And they had a sport where that could be a competitive thing. To me, it's really a shame. It's really a shame that USPSA doesn't have a division for like 
lightly modified guns that people actually carry. They don't have that. They can say they do, but everybody knows that. That's, that's a, a huge shame. It's a huge shame. Yeah, it's, it's stupid. That would make an interesting division, but the best we can do is a solid brass weapon. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like I, I would rather shoot guns where the trigger is meaningfully restricted, where the capacity is like, like I don't give a shit about like buying aftermarket base pads to make my gun hold more rounds and getting a really flat follower to get an extra round into the magazine to make the magazine less reliable so I can do well in competition. Like that shit to me is stupid. Just like, just use the factory magazines, like that kind of stuff. Like there's, there's. Well, is it like also kind of get into like, um, like stage design? Like, do we really need stages where we have like 30 targets to engage and you need to do three reloads? Right. Or is it like, would it be better to have a target, a stage with 10 targets that are actually reasonably challenging shots to make a good hit on? Right. Well, yeah, like do those kind of things. I, I mean, I, I don't just you're going to just burn ammo. Having having an interesting stage beats having a big stage. That's the problem with three gun. Yeah, I mean that that really is Here, the we're problem. We're going to have thirty shotgun plays every single stage. Yeah, like that's why two gun is like I think the winner on that. So I guess given the on the note that we had with like uh, carry guns at matches and stuff. How closely does your concealed carry gun represent what you take to a match? Um, or are you like, is it similar or do you just have the mindset of like shooting is shooting? Like, fuck it, man. Well, a Gl- it's, I, it's a Glock set, a Glock 17 with iron sights. Okay. Like that with the same trigger as the Glock 34 that I will shoot the classes and shoot in matches. Can I ask why you don't uh, carry a dot? Carrying, carrying a dot is not like, I don't see the advantage to a dot for a carry gun. Not really. Not in practical terms. I mean, I see disadvantages, but I don't really see an advantage. Not really. I shoot way better with a dot, man. I shoot way better with a dot. Sure, I shoot better with a dot under certain circumstances at close range. Um, the dot's really a liability to me, as far as I'm concerned. For me, I like, uh, and I guess this is just maybe like the way my eyes work, and also the fact that like you have a lot more time behind a gun and muscle memory behind a gun to know how to shoot better than I could ever shoot. <laughs> Um, no, no, it's not that. It's Come no, on. it's it's why you're the guest and the guy that is like the inspiration for tons of people around the country for shooting. And I'm an idiot with a fucking mean page. Uh, you're not an idiot. Come on now. <laughs> but uh, like, I I've got to the point that like I know that the dot is one of those things that like for me I I can keep up with it. I know how to make sure that this thing stays working and. If I'm in presented a position that like, oh, like I need to actually make a really challenging shot in a concealed carry circumstance because it could happen. Or if adrenaline sure. gets the better of me, because frankly, I thought I was better at stress inoculation than I really was. And oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, I have to shoot somebody. I would much rather have a dot on the gun and make that red dot just live in the guy's chest and start stitching him up rather than like try to find a front sight post and like i can't i probably could find a front sight post but i can find a dot a hell of a lot easier and for me and for the way i think about this it makes sense it doesn't mean i can't shoot guns with irons but i would prefer to carry with an optic so it's interesting that you work with irons on a carry gun i think the best compromise would be just to carry two guns and have one of the guns have a dot on it, and have the other one have iron, and you can just draw whichever one you see fit for the situation. Uh, uh. Well, like, well, honestly, to me, the way my brain works, the biggest advantage of the dot is low light. 
That's the biggest advantage that you're going to have in practical settings. For me, it helps uh, with the target focus and being able to just lock onto the target and not have my eyes play games with me. And it doesn't matter with night sights, fibers, whatever. The dot is so much easier for that on me. Like it's just, it works better for me. And it's, it's possibly just me being stupid, but, or being inexperienced, but it's the context in which you use the gun. So for example, with iron sights, you know how you have a good sense of where the gun is at and you know, where the gun's pointed, even if you're not looking right down the sights, right? Cause you can see the position of two sights it's of, of the front and rear sight. So like you look at a dude who's not trained at all, like they can line up iron sights quicker than they can line up a dot with zero training, right? Because they can see everything. They don't have to like look through the glass and like find the dot and understand how that works. Like at speed, what you see is like when you draw the gun at, you know, again, at close range, you're going to see where that gun's at really quickly without, I mean, like there's no need to like look through the tube and hunt for the dot. You like, you see the sights right away up close. And like for, like for me, most other people I talk to is like 10 yards and in, if you're not doing precise, like, like eyeball type shooting, you're going to be, you're going to have an easier time with iron sights. Like the dot really is a hindrance at close range. I think. Definitely makes sense. Cause with a dot, if you're not precisely behind it and you don't see the dot, well, sorry, you don't know, you don't know where you're aiming with irons. You can like, Correct. You, your brain does do the work. It's like, Oh, well the left post is, or the front post is to the left of the rear iron sights. So I'm aimed to the left of the target and you can make those adjustments. I can I can definitely see an argument for both ways. I think at the end of the day, it's like fucking everything else with guns. I'm not I'm not saying that iron sights are objectively better, or that I would shoot better scores on a test that someone else builds with iron sights. Like what I'm saying is like inside of ten yards, I'm better with the iron sights as are most people, and like there's no reason to put a dot on my gun that just makes the gun bigger. Well, and I, I don't think anybody I, I don't need that. For I don't like, think anybody's trying to say that at, at all. Um, I I no, I I'm kinda, on, I'm no, kinda side either. with you on the on the dot thing a little bit. I'm in that dot curious stage. Here's another way to put it. Have you watched guys with you notice that guys with dots tend to prefer to draw to long targets and work their way in, whereas guys with iron sights typically do the opposite. They start close and work their way out. Yes. Yes. That's like again, that's not for no reason. The way dots work when you draw them, it's like either you see it or you don't. So you might as well see it on a long target. And then work your way in and start ripping as you get closer. Once you build your index and your grip and you know everything's good, you can start really ripping as you work your way to close targets. Iron sights, it's way easier to start close and work your way out because on the close target, I mean, close targets, you can just start hammering them just with the outline of the gun. And then as like the gun's mid-transition, it's way easier to pick up those sights as you're transitioning the gun than it is with a dot. I mean, that's just a much easier circumstance I, I to shoot. interesting... I guess kind of anecdote on that. So I, uh, I spent a good uh, five years working at my local gun shop and what, and a pretty good sized metropolitan area. And we would get a lot of law enforcement customers. And I was talking to a lot of coppers that were working with people that were going through academies. And I said this on the last episode, but I was from Denver. And so I was talking to a guy at Denver PD and he said that of the new hires for their new academy, at that time, which I think was about 2019, uh, all the new hires, 90% of them are running dots and shooting better with dots than irons. That will, no, everyone will. Yeah. They, they it were just depends better. on the circumstances in which you test it. Correct. So if we're doing distant shooting, 
with, with unrestricted time, people shoot better with dots. All right. If you're doing close range shooting with a time limit, untrained people shoot better with irons, objectively better. They actually did a study on this in Texas, like an actual like university study. See, the problem in the gun shop, you're dealing with a self-selected group of people. So you have cops that are the most interested in shooting that are coming in and talking to you about like, yeah, I'm trying to help these guys with this, help these guys with that. The dots are great, this and that. I encounter those cops too. That is not most cops. That is not most people. I agree with you. I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you on that. I think the, the question that comes with, with that conversation, though, is he wasn't talking to me about people he's helping at the academy. He was talking about academy numbers. Like ninety percent of in, like people enrolled in the academy at Denver PD at that point were all running Glocks with RMRs. Right, that's fine, but you'd have to look at the way they're testing their shooting, and maybe they're training these people from the scratch to run dots better. Right, like maybe they're. Focused. I haven't. I haven't seen that. I mean, maybe they like DPD is a is a department that thinks very highly of themselves, and they think very yeah, highly of the way be. they try to approach training. So they will take time to invest in good red dot training. So if they're going to teach people red dot, they're going to at least go to somebody who's worth talking to about like a proper red dot class. So maybe they've implemented something that works better for them than irons. And at that point, it's a preference thing. We can sit here and debate this for the next hour. <laughs> I'm not saying they don't work better. <laughs> and like, like, just to be clear, if you put me in like a match setting, I shoot better with a dot than I do with irons. <laughs> it's like my carry gun has irons. Just so we're clear. I, no, I think it's just, it's an interesting conversation to kind of go, uh, go about that. So I think we can put that one to bed. Um, cause it's very, you know, contentious, but I, I'm curious about the rifle thing. Wait, wait, before we get to rifles, I don't, I don't mind it that contentious, but that's while fine. we're on <laughs> pistol red dots, what is objectively the best dot size for competition? Since there's obviously no such thing as give or take, there's obviously just the best one for all situations. What is that? Uh, 3.2 MOA. Okay. All right. On the rifles. Okay. What do you want? What do you want to talk about? Um, well, yeah, you said you were going to, uh, like a rifle book is coming out soon, right? Like, and you're focusing it's on coming. rifle, rifle yeah. training. Um, yes. Everyone knows you for handgun, but what's your journey in the world of rifles? Like, how how was um, that? Because I feel like that was something that probably started earlier for you. Yeah, so uh, a, a challenge was laid down by me, or laid down to me by a, a friend of mine who does, uh, he has a background in, like, uh, special operations. That's where he's from. He's like, hey, pistol shooting's on point. This is a great shooter. This guy can shoot. Hey, your pistol shooting's good. You taught me a lot with pistol shooting. Um, I've kind of adapted a lot of these concepts for rifle. You should check it out. And I went and trained with him for a few days. And I was like, ah, oh, this is very interesting. I like this style. So like the, the style of shooting that, I, that, that we do with rifles, like that kind of got me into rifle shooting. So I'm not interested in three gun style shooting. So what I mean is uh, like close range USPSA targets where you slap two on them and you're good to go. And then you, uh, I mean, typically in three gun match, then you like, um, you know, put the gun, like put the gun on some kind of a brace and then you shoot plates at 200 yards or something. It's, it's like typically one of those two things, right? Either you're shooting really far at relatively small targets or you're just hosing close range targets quickly. 
that's three gun style shooting. And I, honestly, that doesn't really interest interest me. But the style of shooting that we were doing was very similar to USPSA shooting, just with a with a you know five five six rifle and a red dot. Um, you know, really considering the scoring zones, doing like hit factor scoring, fast manipulations, you know, reloads, that kind of stuff. Um, transitioning from rifle to pistol. I mean, I would call it operator style shooting. Like that's the style of shooting that you see from, you know, certain segments of uh, special operations. But it's not something there's a game built around. It's just kind of its own thing. It just lives out there in the ether. Like there's not a game for it. But like that style of shooting, I thought was very, very interesting. So that's kind of what I got hooked into that. I've been training it, working on it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's what I've been up to. So what, what uh, particular rifle are you working with on this? You said 5.56 rifle, so I'm sure everyone wants to know, like, what rifle and optic and stuff are you running with that? I was just going to ask that, just what sure, the so, looks like, yeah. Who say, well, so you just take a plain arrow precision rifle. I have different guns. I have shorter guns with, you know, muzzle devices. The guns, I actually, I actually prefer shooting, uh, you know, A2 hider, like A2 flash hider on just a plain arrow precision rifle with a two-stage trigger and uh a hollow sun red dot on it and uh, a bad lever with with that stuff like that's pretty much everything i need in a sling of course so shooting that rifle just very plain nothing really fancy but shooting it extremely aggressively from you know zero to probably 75 meters um like really aggressively and then being able to hit man-sized targets to 400 meters like that that style of shooting i is, uh, fucking love that yeah. I fucking love that. Yeah. So uh, the, the type of rifle that, that I'm using is like the type of thing, like, I mean, it has, it's missing some stuff. So maybe there'd be a laser like or IR device, whatever, but it's just, you know, it's just a, a slick rifle for that, you know, that you'd use for that sort of thing. Are you picking an arrow because you want a rifle that you can just beat the fucking wheels off of and not care about? Like, it's like, you know, it's going to work you know what it no, is, I, and it works really well. But you're like to be honest, a JP would be counterproductive to what I'm trying to do. Okay, building the rifle tighter and more accurate and shit like that doesn't. It's like I don't need that. That doesn't help me. Like I just want a rifle that fucking works. And you don't need at that point if you're just trying to work on this sort of thing for what you're doing. You don't need to go buy a fucking knights. Like you can just run an arrow in Hollow Sun and just go crush it and go work on these drills. I think I think buying that shit is dumb. Honestly, it's dumb. I mean, it's it's what's interesting about rifles is they have so much capability on paper. Uh-huh. You know, like there's so much you can do with them in theory, but like if you look at reality and the way these things really get used, you don't do any of those things. Not really. Do you have a magnifier? No. Oh, okay. Do you run quad rails? No. Shame. We had the same uh, conversation pretty much with uh, Otter Creek Labs. They make silencers. Uh, well, one, are you going to get into silencers? Uh, two, the conversation was like, you know, our shit's really durable. This is from Otter Creek Labs. He's like, my shit's really durable. And everybody's like, it's going to fall apart in a million rounds. And then nobody's going to ever shoot a fucking million rounds through it. So, I mean, your arrow is perfectly fine. They're, it's great. So, uh, yeah, why don't you shoot silencers? I figure if you're, you know... Getting into that sort of thing. Go buy a polonium. Yeah. Shoot silencers? Yeah, use yeah. a silencer, dude. No, 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 not put it on the gun Why? and shoot it. Put it on the ground and shoot it with your rifle. Right. That's <laughs> what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I meant. 
I, I don't like what what's what's the point well, of that? They look cool. I don't understand. They do look cool. They do look cool. I mean, I mean, so I go to. I mean, I've been to some rifle classes where there's a bunch of dudes with suppressors, and I'm like, I don't really know the point of that. Well, <laughs> like, I, I mean, I'm not, for, outside the obvious point of like sound suppression, right? And and dropping your discipline. Yeah, but what is what is the point of me giving a shit about? That? I don't care. We're here for hearing protection. No, I mean you are, but I mean at the end of the day, so you do get some sound suppression, but there is a. Uh, a recoil reduction piece that goes with it, and there's also and if the can is built correctly, uh, there is an accuracy enhancing piece to it as well. Um, I, I can't sure. I, a can that is built correctly will actually slightly improve the accuracy of your rifle. So let me also break right, down so that putting the suppressor on there would be kind of counterproductive for me. Okay, it's like making the gun a better is not. Like, I don't really care about, like, for example, today I taught, you know, a competition pistol class, but I taught it with my Glock with a not modified trigger, just a Glock. I mean, because that, that to me, that sends the message better. That's a, that makes a good example for the students that, hey, you know, this isn't about equipment. This is about training and, and building your skills and building your fundamentals. Like, um, that, that's an important thing, especially when you start doing military law enforcement training. You don't want to show up with a competition gun. Like, I don't need to make my gun better. A good goal for me, like, I mean, I've done some rifle training in a military context. I have the most lightly modified rifle there. That's good. That sends a good message. Makes a good example. I guess the question, uh, if you're going to be doing training with law enforcement and military guys uh, a lot more in the future, you'll see these guys running suppressors. And there's a big push for the military to go suppress on everything. There's a big push for a lot of people right, in I mean, law enforcement to get suppressed. The justification for that stuff is pretty fucking weak. So, like, law enforcement, like SWAT teams will say, hey, we have the suppressor so we can distinguish our gunshots from their gunshots. You know, like, okay, whatever. Uh, military guys, I mean, I've seen, hey, we put the suppressors on for this CQB run because it's better for the dogs we're going to send in first. Something like that. Like... I mean, the suppressor, I mean, it's cool for them to have that. Like, I don't need that shit. I'm not out. I'm like, I'm not going on operations, like secretively shooting people. So I, I don't have, I personally don't have use for a suppressor and I could give a fuck if I have one. I think in a civilian context, the biggest and to an extent only advantage of a suppressor is in the event of a home defense shooting that you don't go fucking like deaf. Yeah, I, but at I, the like, same, so I'll, I'll counter that point. I mean, at the same time and. There, there's an auditory exclusion thing that's going to happen in that scenario, and and hunters experience it too. Like, yeah, we're still getting damaged, but your brain is like, okay, I'm getting ready to pull the trigger, turn it off, and it, it, it's a weird science there on how that works. But the, the argument can yes. be made. I've, I've I've known guys that have kicked doors for a living without suppressors that don't have major hearing loss. You get hearing damage from typically from loud noises in a sustained sort of thing. Like jet engines are the worst, right? I mean, gunshots, I mean, not about, I don't know about inside a structure, but like gunshots don't, they're, they're not as destructive as people think for their hearing. It's not a good thing, but it's not, it's not as bad as people want, would think it is. It's I, the B-52 crew chiefs, I know, that, like, can't hear shit because they listen to uh, fucking jet engines all day. Jet engines are literally the worst thing ever for your hearing. Yeah, no, that... For sure. For sure. 
I think the thing for me with it is like, I find it makes the shooting experience a lot more pleasant. Um, and so I enjoy shooting suppressed and I think it's a big thing for me. And so for me, it's a personal enjoyment thing. Um, and I like that. that. I mean, I'll be honest. I prefer, I prefer my a two hiders over my, uh, comps, my comp rifle for exactly the same reason. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things that it's like a suppressor. If you have the ability to own one, it's exactly like having an SBR AR lower. Like if you have the ability to own one, you live in a state where you can have one. Shame on you for not having one. If you have the means to have one, because it's just nice to have, it's nice to have the ability to, we're going to knock some, uh, some hearing damage off of this gun. Right. Uh, like you should be able to have that in your toolkit. It's not necessarily like I'm trying to be a, like an assassin because there's no way I'm going to make a five five six rifle an assassin's rifle with the silencer, but I am going to be able to help my hearing a good bit. And I've caused enough permanent hearing damage to myself over the years working at ranges and shit that like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and opt for anything I can do to help with my hearing loss. And for that, it's great. And I tend to like having that option available to me. Um, so I would say don't discount the value, but like, especially for rifles, like handgun suppressors, that's just because it's nifty and I can make uh, 147 subsonics go, you know, silly quiet and have fun on the back 40 and just go shoot some bullshit, right? And 22 suppressors because it sounds like a pellet gun. But, well, like, no. rifle suppressors are, like, defensive utility and or just because I don't want to blow my ears out shooting a deer. The, the, the fastest way to make a handgun unreliable is to put a suppressor on the end of it. Like, n- no shit. You gotta get the right, you gotta pick, like, pick your silencer, pick your handgun and all that shit properly to make sure, and vet it to make sure it runs the way it should. And You do, it. but my, my point still stands for the average person, you know, hey, I'm gonna buy a Glock 17, put a, th- write a barrel in it and buy a suppressor, and oh, god, why doesn't my handgun run now? Well, well Glocks are also the- really bad suppressor hosts. It, we're also talking the most popular think, handgun in the United I States. I think we're going down a rabbit hole. Yeah, we'll 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 move off of the suppressor discussion. I go back to the this rifle is another side ping and ping and transfer episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, when it staying... gets to the question on the rifles, like where are you going to go? Go ahead. Oh, okay. I was just going to ask what uh, what you think of LPVOs in general, Ben. I know you said that you have a red dot on the rifle right now. I personally like LPVOs a lot. I went from a red dot to an LPVO just in the past maybe month or so. Just want to know your thoughts. LPVOs are fine. Like, I mean, there's obvious advantages, right? It gives, you, it gives you a ton more capability at distance. Sure. Especially a good one. Like, you have a ton more capability. To me, like, that's not capability that gets, you know, like, really used. And, uh, like, I don't, like, there's no reason for me to put that on my gun for shooting in the, con- in the way that I'm shooting. Okay, that makes sense. It's one of those things, like, in my opinion, it's nice to have, even though you're likely to never need it. Like in that 1% of a 1% situation, I, th- I just think it's a, a good thing to have the, the extra magnification. Like I can shoot a red dot out to 400. I've done that before. Sure. But I shot it at matches where there was just a white target sitting in the middle of a field of 400 yards. And I got the thinking like, well, I can make the hits, but if I ever actually have to shoot a thing at 400 yards, it's probably not going to be standing still 
with a white jacket in the middle of a field. You know what I mean? Well, sure. But again, in a practical context, you have a problem with legal justification, target identification, all sorts of things, shooting somebody 400 yards away. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. But if, yeah. I mean, I understand why you'd want to have that on your gun. But like, again, it's like not not capability that like I need for anything. I think the most controversial most controversial thing you said about your rifle was the bad lever. I, I was getting ready to say, I was, <laughs> yeah. was going to ask like, the bad lever. The, the, the way, the way that I use pretty much every, yeah, exactly. It's like pushing down, my, on my bad lever, I push down on it from outside the trigger guard. Like, it, it, is, it sits outside the trigger guard, you can push down and reload. Like, this, like, the way that I use the rifle, and like, again, the style of rifle shoot I'm doing is fast manipulations, reloading the gun, that sort of stuff. Like, the bad lever makes life way, way better. That makes sense. Uh, I think way better. It's, it I doesn't have... inherently. Here, I'll, I'll, one more thing. I'm getting in ping. It doesn't inherently make your rifle less safe, especially for a guy like you that shoots like literally for a living, or a guy like I don't know that shoots a lot more than the average person. But when your average person puts it on their gun and they don't train around it, I think that is where the issues can can come from, and that's why people will be like, "Well, I had one on my rifle, and I had an ND with it, so I'm going to take it off." And it's like, "Well, yeah, you shoot 200 rounds a year." So I don't know what you expected to happen because you don't train at all with it. Yeah, yeah, like the, the bad lever makes it, I mean, it's not something you see a lot in like three gun circles, but like a standing reload from bolt lock into your rifle, like that's a very good skill to build. Um, bad lever makes life a lot easier, like pulling the bolt back and locking it back way easier with the bad lever, that kind of stuff. The rifle's way easier to handle. Um, yeah, it's like if, if people don't train with it or they feel like it's an ND machine, it's like, well, then you probably shouldn't have that. But again, my bad lever, I sweep down on it. If I press it down from outside of the trigger card. So I guess the question that I have when it comes to rifle handling and stuff like that is um, like when you, the way you shoot your gun and you build your grip on the rifle and all that stuff, like you've talked about, do Minor differences really matter for you at this point with what you're doing. Like if we're talking about like if the gun doesn't have a bad lever or does have a bad lever, if the gun has a you know vertical foregrip or an angled foregrip or it doesn't, if the gun has an off like an LPBO or a red dot, do these things kind of end up mattering to you at this point? Of like it's a gun, like fuck it, I'm going to go shoot. Well, I mean, yes, it's a gun, but like having a bad lever versus not to big fucking difference okay. it's a big difference it changes the way that you do important manipulations on the gun it changes them a lot good, right? good, so yeah. but I, I that's that's a that would be a big training difference to me but like vertical foregrip or like optic or like any of those things do those kind of like change the way you handle the gun as far as movement recoil management things like that or do you no. just kind of like no. you're at the point of like the gun's going to just be the gun. And as long as I have a rifle that I know I can shoot well, like it doesn't matter if it's an arrow or a PSA or a Daniel defense or a Knights, like I'm just going to pick it up and fucking shoot it. Right. I mean, but, but to be honest with you, I'm not sure there's a big difference between those rifles for anybody. Not if you use them in a practical setting. That's the key. Like, Sure, like some guns are built tighter, like better better tolerances or whatever, and you they they print a tighter MOA or whatever on, on the target. Sure, but when you're using the the rifle rifle in a practical setting, like what fucking difference does that make? It's kind of like the inherent accuracy of your pistol, like whatever that is, 
mm-hmm. doesn't typically matter a whole lot in a USPSA setting, does it? I mean, that's pretty accurate and as a statement. And I've, it gets to a point that I've had for a long time for people is like, you guys are like trying to like argue about like, well, I need an AR that's sub MOA. It's like, my guy, you're a uh, six MOA shooter using four MOA ammo. Like, you just need to get better. I, I was going to say, coming from a guy that's an AK shooter, like a lot, uh, accuracy, especially in a practical slash combat style rifle, is not as important as people make it out to be. You know, I shoot a I shoot an AK-74 a lot of the time that prints about 2 MOA. Um, and it does everything that I need it to do. So, and, and I'm the odd man. Yes. I'm the odd man out in this 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 chat for that because no, I do. You're not an odd man out. The only problem with the AKs is fucking reloading them fast. I, I was gonna say, <laughs> and you can get quick. So I bought uh, down in Arizona. There's a guy uh, that whose Instagram handle is Ronan. Uh, I bought his custom Lee Armory AK-74 off of him, and with just a little bit of work, that gun. I, I can keep up with your average AR guy pretty easily. And on a good day, I can keep up with some top, top end, uh, top end a- AR guys. Um, it, there is a nuance to reloading the gun. Uh, but once you get it down, you get the reps, you're going to be a little slower. Yeah. Because there's more movement there, but it's not, it's not as slow as people think it is. And five four five, uh, five four five is just a pussycat of around to shoot. It's got less recoil than five five six. So, I do like five four five. I like the idea of it a lot. I do have a question for you on that with like handling though, Ben. Like when it comes to ARs and like you have what you know, how much of the things that you know and you already know how to work with with any given AR. M4, M16 pattern kind of rifle that you would get handed, does it translate over when you grab something else? Or, like, do you know you have to change certain things about the way you handle a gun? And how much of that mental computing kind of goes into it when you get handed an AK or a SCAR or something like that? Not counting bullpups because they're not real rifles. Sure. Uh, handing an AK, I'm worthless. Like, I can do the shooting part with an AK. Like, I can. I can grip it and mount it properly, look at a spot, transition the gun well, shoot it aggressively. But as far as doing that, doing that quickly, like that requires training and acclimation to that gun. I mean, it's same as I, if I wanted to be really tuned up with an AK, it'd be requiring regular dry fire practice with an AK, like reloading it quickly, mounting it, transitioning it, all of that stuff. Like I would acclimate quickly, but I still require acclimation. Like the idea that you're going to hand somebody a different gun with different controls and they're going to have the same level of performance. That's not really going to happen unless their level of performance is really low. I was going to say, you might have the same level of performance until you have to do a reload or in the case of the AK, especially with safety, like even coming from the lower high ready and getting that safety off, that's a completely different movement than, you know, your AR, your FAL, your G3, you know, and it, your, even your scar, the scar is relatively the same as the AR control wise. 
uh, once you do your initial load. Uh, the AKE is just, it's completely separate manual of arms, um, except for the well, yeah. pulling of the trigger. I guess a question that comes into that as well is, so I did look up PCSL a little bit while we were talking, and I like what I see. And when it comes to that kind of practical gun handling and the way that you we work with rifles and stuff as, you know, regular dudes that own ARs and Glocks and shit, and we want to get into shooting matches like this, do you think a match like this, um, if we can help it get teeth, could actually be that kind of next generation gun culture match that we could all kind of look into a little bit? Because I, I uh, definitely. So I think the key the key things with the rifle to me is the distances should be realistic, which is diff- like people don't like that with the rifles. They don't like shooting like. Um, relatively close range or you know they'll always put in something that fucks over people that don't have magnification in a lot of these matches mm-hmm. um, which I think is stupid but that's what they like to do um, you need to be testing people's um, manipulation ability as far as mounting the rifle like uh, reloading the rifle and there's not a match that does this that I know of but um, you know transitioning from rifle to pistol using a sling um, Obviously, there's a lot of issues around that that people are people wouldn't like doing that in a competitive setting. But that is that th- those are patients that really train, um, and it, testing those in a match setting is cool. It's just that match don't really, they're not really built to. Well, that that, that actually brings up a thought that I had um, that like <laughs> you go to three gun matches like when you're done with a gun you have to put it in a bucket, right? Like when you're done with it, it has to go in a bucket. And you're like, there is no reholster a handgun. There is no, you know, transition to pistol off of a sling. Like that's not a thing, right? And even if you had like a rule in a match saying like you can't transition to pistol off of a sling, uh, unless the gun is on like is shot dry, right? Like you have to shoot your rifle dry before you go to your pistol, so that we know we have a clear gun when you go to your pistol. For a safety reason. That's, if that's how the... Sorry, that's how the matches around me do it. Or the, the one that I went to in particular that I like the most. Um, if your rifle wasn't dry before... Like, you always had to keep it slung on you, which I think was good. They got around it by, okay, you're done with the rifle portion of this stage. You're going to drop your mag, clear it, and RO will yell clear, and then you're allowed to sling it and just treat it like a stick. Then they don't care where it goes. I think that's kind of the, the best happy medium that you're possibly going to get out of it. I was going to say, because yeah. at the end of the day, that's a safety thing. Like, yeah. You're, you're not going to get around that in a competition setting. Like, uh, if we all get together and trained on the range, it's one thing. We know they're live guns. We know we're good. We know our ability level that we can, hey, safety, drop the rifle to a sling, go to handgun, shoot, reholster, anything we need to do. In a competition setting, now things are starting to change a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. To ask of an RO to run behind some guy who has a loaded rifle pointed at your face that the safety may or may not be on. I was going to say, yeah. and I, I, I've worked with guys before where I've seen that, where they do that transition from rifle to handgun. The rifle's still loaded and it's hanging, but safety's off. Like, dude, like, 
you know, put your safety back on. And, and that's kind of the, the liability piece we're talking about. Stop this Black Hawk Down nonsense. Like that was. Hey, so like I said, there's a lot of issues around the slings, but that would be really cool to be able to test them. Do you have any hope for any matches that can start to push for this sort of thing? Like, even if PCSL isn't something that takes off, like, do do we have, like, an option and a hope? Because I, I knowing now with a lot of what's happening with the BOD at USPSA and that you're trying to also push into rifle stuff, and there's also a lot of other people who have been very big and growing gun culture stuff around them, right? Like, we've got, you know, Lucas Botkin, we've got Grantham, uh, we've got everybody else out there that's trying to run these matches and they, like guys are showing up to USPSA matches. They're showing up to all these other things, but maybe it's not quite fitting them. Do you have hope that we could come up with something like I, I this is something I really want to like dive into with you because I feel like we're at that kind of watershed moment. that's very similar to what happened with IDPA where IDPA said, Hey, you guys are a bunch of gamers and we're going to go do a combat match. And, well, that just became, you know, a fishing best fest. Uh, but they tried. They did something. Are we at a similar point? And do you think somebody can actually really push that effort? Like, we have P- PCSL. We have some people that are trying. But, like, how? what are our chances of actually having it accomplished? Um, I don't know the chances. But but it's a it's a difficult thing. The big thing, as you as you guys, I think you guys understand, it's a unified rule set. It's having people on the same sheet of music. It's having people finally rowing in the same direction. Mm-hmm. IDPA accomplished that for a little while, um, and they had a real direction and a real purpose for being. But the, I mean, I would I would argue in many respects, IDPA accomplished its mission. I think they were formed in 1998, something like this. Um, like that. Well, shit, right after that, US, yeah, USPSA started division, limited 10 division, revolver division um, to try to give, I mean, honestly, people like me to give me a place to shoot. If it wasn't for production division, I never would have started USPSA because I wouldn't have had anything to shoot my gun in that was, that was competitive. So you could look at IDPSA kind of successful in that way where they kind of spurred some change. Right now, the situation, as I see it, is we've got a bunch of, we've got some FUDs like running the show that are kind of dicks. We've got a lot of people that wear jerseys and play dress up and kind of look like they're interested in getting better at shooting. There's you guys that are kind of really into it. Like you're like we're trying all this different stuff. We're pretty open-minded. Like we want to try, you know, this and that. And we don't really have a place that lets us kind of do the things we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think having a culture shift where there's like, Hey, this kind of people, it's more about building skills, getting together, doing that kind of thing at the club level, having pretty serious matches at a higher level, um, different equipment rules that kind of make more sense. Um, I mean, to the, I mean, that kind of fit the modern situation better. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really doable. It's really possible. Could happen. What do you think about the tactical games? Because I know that's something that's kind of cropped up, and a lot of people like to talk about it. But at some level, it's like super you know interesting kind of idea as this concept but that it basically just ends up being crossfit for guns like do you think that tactical games could be hijacked into being what we want it to be or is it just going to be forever this crossfit thing i i don't know i've never been to a tactical games event but i think it's highly unlikely that you're going to hijack something like that and turn it into a different thing 
I mean, the other thing about tactical games, it's really not that big. Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty much a non as a as a thing. It's an interesting concept, sure, but it is, you're right, it's basically CrossFit with guns. You're like, okay, cool. Like, have fun with that. So, do you... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, mine was off topic. I'll save it for later. Well, I mean, I guess when it comes to the uh, the conversation with different matches and different ideas and stuff, like, do you, like... Do you, uh, I know we could do that. I know it's possible to do that, but I think maybe for context for a lot of the listeners, what would be necessary in your opinion, besides just read off the same sheet of music, right? Because like we can say, read off the same sheet of music. Everyone's like understanding what we're talking about. And we're all on the same page of what the, what the matches should look like. Right. We get that. That's what USPSA yeah. has done. That's what IDPA has done. That's why those organizational bodies exist. The real question of it is like, what does it take to set up an organiz- organizational body that's actually worth a shit that we can, be able to host a match that says, hey, we're running a true concealment division. Hell, two concealment divisions. Concealment duty gun, so you're carrying a Glock 17 concealed versus concealment micro, and you're carrying like a P365, right? How do you... You understand that concept of border directors and sanctioning bodies better than the, I think a lot of us do. Is that a hurdle that can be overcome reasonably? By yeah, so my my idea my idea right now, yeah, of course. So the idea, like maybe may, maybe you don't need you don't have a board of directors like that. I mean, the corporate structure. Whether are you going to have a nonprofit thing? Are you going to have uh, like with people vote on this and that? IDPA is for profit. I'm not sure there's functionally a difference to the shooters as far as USPSA versus IDPA versus anything else. Like I mean, that part of it, I, I'm not sure matters, but. You have some sort of a way this thing is structured at the organizational level. But the more important thing, the really important thing is getting people to buy in. So like an idea that I had, I say, hey, if you guys are going to do something different, let's have a, like, so a conference, like a national thing. Anybody that wants to can come and we hash this thing out like, and get, get actually input from people what they want this thing to look like. And the, I mean, the important thing is getting everybody to move in the same direction. Like I said. Once you have that, like get a build it, like what, however you, the, the corporate part of it structured, um, you can adopt all the rules from you, from whatever game you like, USPSA, IDPA, you can take whatever rules you want. Rule mechanics can't be copywritten. Rules, the way that rules are written verbally, like the verbiage of the rule is copywritten, but you can copy the function of all the rules if you want. You can have hit factor scoring, you can have fault lines, no fault, whatever you want to do means you decide those things and then maybe like i said port over people's classification system classifications i really think the thing that makes a national organization go like really go is a classification system that is functional that is good like a a classification system for shooting your rifle that was like hit factor scoring with like classifier stages that made sense like that would be uh, you know that would be very interesting for a lot of people instantaneously so you have that. Once those things are in place, um, you're going to start attracting more people. Okay. So, so my question becomes, you know, with that, especially once you get into the more practical side of things, right? You're talking like shooting concealment and that kind of stuff. Do you see a rule set that all that is such a rule set that keeps people from just gaming it 
which at the end of the day, I think is what we've seen in like IDPA and USPSA to an extent where it, it it's okay. I'm going to do this, even though it's not practical. Uh, USPSA with the, with the lights, the weapon lights and, you know, like lock grips makes a solid brass light that pumps out like 30 lumens that nobody would ever carry on their gun, but it's a weight for the end of your gun. Do you see a way to like a, a, a rule set that keeps that gaming from happening and keeps it more in that practical space? No. Now you can you can mitigate that sort. Of, I mean, the brass flashlights those annoy you. You mitigate that stuff by having you know rules in place where you you know just don't. I mean, you have the way to stop that is having r- rules that appear overly restrictive on the surface, like. For IPSC production, you're not allowed to make any sort of external modifications. I mean, of that nature. So it's like that's just not allowed. But I mean, but then what you end up running up against is you'll have guys who say, "Hey, I carry this gun this way. Why can't I shoot this?" So there's always going to be a that, that the equipment rules are always going to be a friction point. There's always going to be some degree of gamesmanship around that stuff. Um, and, and I understand that because I'm at that friction point, right? So my normal carry gun. Judge me if you want. Is a Nighthawk DRP recon with a Surefire X300 on it and 45 auto. That is my my normal carry gun. That gun is right at the 50s limit for USB single stack with an eight round magazine. I can't even run ten. I have to run eights and. You know, when I when I when I started to step into the USBSA realm, and I was looking at my options, and you know, I've got a Glock 17, I've got a Staccato P, I've got my Nighthawk, which is really what I want to shoot because I spent the money on it. It's what I carry. It's what I use the most. That gun's right at the weight limit, and I'm stuck to eight round magazines. So even when I'm looking at like that gamer aspect of okay, well, can I shoot singles ten? Well, no, I can't. I'm over the weight limit. So I'm stuck with single stack. The thing is, nobody at a local is going to break out a scale. Uh, it's fucking. You'd fine. be surprised. Dude, you got some do. fucking lame ass <laughs> ROs at your place. I was going to say they do here. They'll break out the fucking postal scale here and weigh your gun. Well, I mean, even like despite like divisions and stuff like that, I think it's more of just like I think you can hammer out the divisions, and I feel it's a it's even a thing that like if you want to lift and shift the whole. Uh, division thing from USPSA or from IDPA or whatever for a new divi- like a new match and a new organization. In theory, yes, you can do that, and it makes sense as a starting point. But it it doesn't necessarily address the concerns of like guys that like I want to carry shoot what I carry purely because I want to get better with what I carry, and I want to have a division that I can work within about what I carry. Even if I'm not trying to get the be- fastest score on on practice score, right? Like if I look at my my division, and my division is concealed carry duty, and I'm shooting a Glock 17 for concealed carry duty, right? Well, if I show up with a 17 and I shoot that, I want to have a match that I can gauge off of other people who also shoot that same division and know. Okay, I ranked amongst people that were shooting from concealment, shooting the way we were shooting. I did X, right? 
not overall score, not top 10, not whatever, but like in the group of people that I was shooting with, I was like 12th, right? Like that's the thing that people want to look for and it's good. So I think that's an interesting challenge to kind of balance. And I, I wonder where that kind of goes. I feel like it's one of those things that you could actually play with the divisions a little bit differently and make it a little bit more practical for well, the, the landscape yeah, USPSA you're trying to appeal to, right? USPSA's divisions are, are fucked right now. Like they've got, I mean, it's a big problem because you have, you have kind of, you have single stack and production, which both have pretty, pretty low attendance. You have revolver, which is a non-issue, um, like a, attendance wise. You've got PCC, which is fundamentally different enough. It creates issues as far as stage design. Um, you got L10, and they be, and then you have uh, pretty much the new people shoot carry optics, and you have legacy like a lot of gray hair and open and limited, and those guns are kind of there's kind of like less people picking that up, I think, over, over time. But it's like they still exist, and like I said, there's a, there's kind of issues with limited, especially where you're like, hey, are we going to keep like, having people shoot forty forever because it's it's kind of becoming a, a problem. So I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting issues with uh, USPSA's division, for sure. And no clean solutions. You're not going to have any solution that makes everybody happy. That's not going to happen. I think divisions in general are one of those things. It's, it, if you're looking at shooting your carry rig or your practical gun or your practical whatever, it's not possible for you to shoot in a division that other people are not gaming it. And that's going to obviously affect classifications, anything with classifications. Like you can, you would have to put so many rules into production right now. There's still going to be people shooting them out there with things that are specifically modified to do the best under the rule set. There's unfortunately really no way around it. It's either you shoot against yourself to get better, or you game out your gun at least a little bit to try and get up there in the classification. And and then even then, like you said in production, you have guns in production that are gamer compared to a Glock 17. Like, the gun shop I work for now, we import Phoenix Redbacks. A Phoenix Redback Heavy is a production gun. Like, it it qualifies for production. It is in that category. Compared to a Glock, a Phoenix Redback Heavy is, is a completely different animal. That gun is not the same. And shoots, ex- it shoots completely differently. It doesn't. I move. don't know if people winning, you know, national titles are actually using much of those, uh, are actually gaming it that much. Ben, can you go through the guns you've won national titles with? <laughs> um, well, I would say most most top shooters guns are heavily modified, shooting the most optimal possible possible equipment probably modified past the point of reliability to where they're fucking around with their stuff a lot that's the norm i i don't really fit into that but that's the norm so your national titles uh eight of them and then a lifetime ban what guns have you won those national titles with either berettas which are uh i believe i changed the hammer spring on those or tanfolios which weren't modified like my tanfolio extremes are not modified but in fairness those are it's I mean, those are much different guns than what was popular in the in the what the noughties, I guess, in the two in the two thousands. 
they're, they're, it's a lot different gun. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. I think if, if you're shooting it truly to get better shooting and not to, you're either shooting it to get better or to get a cool higher letter on your classification. I, you can shoot it for both. I'm kind of shooting it for both right now and violating my own rule, but it's hard to get mad whenever you're shooting a stock Glock and you're getting upset that you're getting beat out by people with shadow twos that shoot more than you. Oh, and that, that's me right now. Like I'm, I'm looking to step into the space with my Nighthawk because that's what I carry. And I know the division I get stuck in with that. I'm either a going to be the only guy there and I'm going to take first in my division every time because I'm the only guy there. The problem solves itself. It, yeah, the problem solves itself because I'm the only guy shooting a single stack. Or, you know, there's going to be like one or two other dudes there, and I'm just putting myself on the clock to run my gun, my setup, out of a safari land because I'm I run a retention holster from from outside the waistband, and my club doesn't allow the appendix stuff. Um. And, and that's where I'm at right now. It's kind of like, hey, do do I want to step into this USBSA thing, or do I want to like take my membership in the club and try to start up like two gun action challenge match and advocate for that? Because that's personally like that's my ideal thing, like a rifle handgun, and you know, uh, Carl Carl Casarda and, and all of them are very controversial in the in the space right now. But the idea behind two gun action challenger match, I think, is in my personal view the way forward. That practical setting, that using the rifle, using the handgun, you know, practical it mixes in that the athletic component, but not in such a way that it becomes CrossFit with guns. And I, I I love the brutality matches, and I hate that the brutality matches have become a a Patreon exclusive thing, which is sad because it, I think it's a good concept, and I think it would be there, and I think that's where where the community wants to go as a whole, especially this newer generation of shooters like us on the podcast tonight. But the problem is, is like the the brutality matches have been locked out by patreon because in range is like well if you're a patreon subscriber you get first access and there's only x amount of slots and by the time registration opens up to the public everything's already full because the patreon already took until more clubs local to everybody starts doing those style of matches it won't happen like and i agree yeah it's it's really that simple. So, well, all right. Look, the reality is there's room essential. Uh, can I Ben still there? Ben still there? Uh, okay. Well, until Ben, oh, Ben, yes. Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. Let's talk to Harambe while Ben's gone. Harambe, what do you think of all this? What's your ideal competition as someone who doesn't shoot competition? Well, uh, from from everything I've heard tonight, uh, it sounds like I need to just start my own club because uh, none of this sounds like, uh, you know, where I would, would fit in. I think we should, uh, as, a, as, a, as a podcast, start as our own podcast uh, with our fan base, uh, all four people that listen. Um, I think we should start our own 
we can All right, we're gonna do we're gonna do a two gun match one year from today, August twentieth, twenty twenty three, at the uh, Mothman statue. Join our Patreon if you would like to be the first to sign up. It is how much are we making our Patreon per month, guys? Twenty dollars a month, sixty nine dollars, four hundred and twenty dollars and sixty nine cents a month. Oh, actually, yes. right, we're gonna go back to twenty dollars a month. If you sign up for that, then you will get to shoot this match. That uh... it's it's at the it's inside the IRS building. Fuck, I was <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, oh my god. No, 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 no. Since we're doing it at the, the Mothman statue, the actual match as is on Needy Road at the ETF headquarters in West Virginia. We're we're uh, walking a dangerous line right now, guys. Ethan, yeah, how about Ethan? Yeah. Ethan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Get get rid of all of this. What? No. Get get rid of all it that. stays. It stays. No, that that stays. Uh, I think Ben might be getting back on here. Ben, can you hear us? I'm here. I'm oh, here. We awesome. So we were uh, talking about you know the whole idea of a new match and new locations to run a match. So we are going. We have decided in the past two minutes we are going to start our own match as a podcast, and, and we're going to host it outside of the ATF building in West Virginia. Nope, apparently, nope. No, we're not. <laughs> Said outside of, they have a range. I would hope inside. They probably do. It's at two forty four Needy Road in West Virginia. See, I just want to have a match out in front of the warehouse at uh, PSA, so I can take all my shell casings and throw them at the front door because of all the fucking transfers I've gotten from them. Yeah, <laughs> the the thing is, is they already do that. It's called AK Masters, and they do it every year. Sorry, what were we talking about before you cut out two minutes ago? Because I am fucking lost. We're starting our own club. Or was no, that before a- that. Before mm-hmm. that. Um, I am not entirely certain. Benjamin? Uh, uh, Benjamin? I have no fucking idea, dude. Come on. Benjamin? Can I call you Ben? Anyway, Benny. So here's <laughs> what I'm thinking. <laughs> we, start our, we start our own. Uh, we put you as president because you know what the fuck you're doing um and uh, i think we should have elections i think i'd be a good person you know what shut up freaking (laughs) Olight. we're gonna we're gonna call it the mothman league and uh it's gonna be the best it we're we're gonna have all the cool rules we're not we're gonna allow appendix you can transition uh you could be fat you could be skinny so, so if you left, if you have see, if you have people transitioning from rifle to slinging the rifle to a pistol out of a holster to match, that'd be fucking crazy. Like what about? Like I said, that would be cool as fuck. But there's tons of issues with that. <laughs> Good luck. What a, what about if somebody? What about if somebody DQs the entire squad gets to slap into the face? Yeah, that's a good rule. I like that. <laughs> that's that's good. So so here's my question. And if you guys and- really want to. People, we could talk about transitioning from rifle to pistol, like for training. Because if you think about the real, like the context where you would do that, uh, your rifle would be empty. So it's really quick for training, though, if you just like put the rifle down and like transition it, like to the pistol, leaving it loaded and not safing it. That's really fast, and that's probably what you do, like in a practical setting, like if the the rifle just stopped working. But just, just throw your reloaded people wouldn't rifle. even want to discuss doing that with live ammo. Just throw your loaded rifle <laughs> at the I mean? berm. Just throw it at the berm really hard. Yes, just throw it at the berm. There you go. Fuck that rifle. So That's what the buckets question. are practiced for. You're just throwing it. 
Here, here's my question because multi or three guns come up a couple of times, and I am a proponent, and everybody in here except for Brian knows it. I am a big proponent of the gospel of the gauge. Ooh. Do you see a competition setting where shotgun can be done practically? Yeah, Skeet. I was just going to say that. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say outside of Skeet or Sporting Clays. Trap. In... <laughs> Understood. No. Door breaking. Five, five stand, maybe? I think we might have lost Ben again. Uh, I'll He's answer for him since I'm probably just as good of a shooter as he is. No. Comedy <laughs> 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 podcast. That's essentially what this is. I've I've seen actually. Oh, the range local to me is doing a two day two gun match where the first day it's rifle and handgun, and the second day it's shotgun and handgun. Are you just See, gonna leave? I want I want a, a three gun match that is carbine, bolt gun, and handgun. Ooh, that would be that. Was, that was, that was no, that was desert brutality last year. They did that. Can we get a four gun match scheduled? Why? Why limit it to four? Infinite gun match. Okay, so you start off with a revolver. No, hold on. You start it's off like, with it's a like gun game on COD. Yeah, it's COD. Yeah, I, it's, it's like gun COD. game. You start off with a, a single shot black powder. Then you go to a black mm. powder revolver. Then mm. you go to a. Then you go to a revolver. Then you you, go to you a, you're you're describing gun game. I. Okay. Then you yeah. go two guns in each hand. Uh, what point do you get the javelin out? Well, the javelin's not anti-vehicle <laughs> only, so you wouldn't be able to use that. Next question. I mean, we're seeing how effective St. Javelin is in the Ukraine right now, so I feel like that is a pertinent... I had a good question, and I forgot it. Can I ask uh, Ping to say nuclear? Don't remind me of that. Nuclear. There we go. Can I, can ben? Ben? Hey, it's Ben's alive. Can I ask 7-7 seven, seven to say anything? Wait, Wait Ben's back. Is he? Is he? Is he? Is he's is, back. I don't think he is. Ben, can you hear us? Benny, how are the Jets? He just said in chat he thinks he's going to bounce off. Okay, well, regardless. Uh, I don't know if you can hear me or not, but thank you for coming on, Ben. It was a pleasure. Hopefully you it can... was great. Yep, he's gone. Okay. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, leave us a rating on Spotify, one star. Tell everybody in the world, all 7 million people, about the podcast. Tell them to leave a one star review on Spotify. Thanks.